I got to see Michael Ralston last week, and he was able to stand up on his own. He took some steps. Um, he could see light, but he could not make out images. So his brain is slowly healing. So people of God, let's keep on praying. That left side of his body that they said he wouldn't be able to use, well, they were overruled by the great healer because he's using that left side of his body. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, I need your help right now. And I thank you that you gave me help through the Holy Spirit. I need him to teach me so that I can teach your people. I need him to speak in spite of me so that we can get a word from you. And after we get the word, we need him to help us apply it and put it into practice. So Lord, uh, thank you that your word says you send forth your word and you heal the people. So Lord, some of us, even before we can get to application of the word, we need some medication from the word. So Lord, I pray that you would help that person who's struggling today, who hobbled into your house. I pray that you would give them such joy in your presence that they would leap out of this place because they had an encounter with you. And Dad, I pray that if there's someone here today who is lost and they need to be found, if there's someone here today, Lord, who is not born again and they don't know your son, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And for someone, Lord, who's even wondering about this church, if this should be their home, I pray that you would speak and confirm to them one way or another about what you're doing at this church and how you may be leading them here. So Holy Spirit, have your way. We just thank you, Lord, that we're alive and we're alive in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Dorena, can you hand me my water? Kevin plays so beautifully, don't you agree? That's a bad boy right here. And I want to thank our worship ministry, Dr. Jewel, and how they prepare to lead us, how they take their charge so seriously. And I want to thank you for showing up during the 9 o'clock hour for Apollos Training Institute. I went into the theology class and was packed. My class still had the people that signed up the first week coming. And then the GDK class, I'm told, was so full, people were sitting on the floor, and we had to change and give them a bigger classroom. So praise God for what he's doing as we're learning. Consider this thought that i like to submit to you today. When God begins to do a movement in the earth, he tends to go with the small, the weak, and the obscure. I said when God's about to do something in the earth, the people he chooses and uses, the instruments that he calls to serve him, that he might work through them, are usually instruments and people who have much to be desired, who fall very short. You see, God's most likely choice 
is often the most, or, or rather the least likely choice. His most likely choice is often the least likely choice. So God has no problem choosing a small nation like Israel, a small child like Jesus, a small village like Bethlehem, a slave like Moses, a teenage girl like Mary, a teenage boy like David. He has no problem choosing an elderly couple like Elizabeth and Zechariah, or even a barren couple like Abraham and Sarah. He loves to choose uneducated and unlearned men like the disciples. He'll choose and use a prisoner like Joseph or a prostitute like Rahab. You see, God doesn't call the qualified because there aren't any qualified people. But he qualifies everyone that he calls so that when it's done, we know who gets all of the glory. In our text today that I'm about to read, we're going to see an unlikely hero. We're going to see a poor man don the cape of heroism and be the lead character in this illustration from King Solomon today. So God's going to use a poor man, and I pray that he speaks to us through this passage today. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 13. The Bible reads from the New King James Version. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard, rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So Solomon comes to this place where some theologians and commentators say that Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life. Proverbs may have been written in the middle of his life, and Song of Solomon was written as a newlywed, as a young guy. And so this man who had been graced and blessed with Wisdom unparalleled in the earth because God gave him wisdom in order to govern his people Israel well. But God also accompanied that wisdom with wealth that also was unparalleled. And so Solomon, although he was wise, got off track and acted like a fool. 
because he could do it, he did do it. And he realized that although he could buy a lot of things and do a lot of things, Ecclesiastes tells us that he was empty in those things. As a matter of fact, he talks about how life is so vain, it's empty. And he talks over and over again in this book about how miserable life is under the sun. And his focus is on worldly things. And I believe the most miserable person is the one who knows that there's more to life than what we see under the sun, but we live focusing on the things of this world, even though we know that there's a God who created this world and stands outside of this world and loves people in this world. And when we do not acknowledge him, life is vanity. Life is empty. Life is meaningless. And he goes through this back and forth challenge throughout the book until he comes to chapter 12. And this wise man finally comes to his senses. And he says that this is the whole duty of man, to fear God and to keep his commandments, to have a relationship with God. And so when we come to chapter 9, he's musing over how life is unfair. And he's saying that death happens to the rich and the poor. Death is the great equalizer. And he doesn't know how to handle that because his focus is still under the sun. And so he's looking at how earlier in chapter 9 that sometimes the swift don't win the race. race. That the strong don't always win the battles. He's saying life doesn't add up sometimes. That wise people don't always get the bread. Understanding or folks with understanding don't always acquire riches. And men of skill don't always have favor, for instance, to get the job. And so he's struggling. And then he comes to this illustration at the end of chapter 9, where this upside-down aspect of the world, really of the kingdom, is shining forth, and it's addressing his worldview, that God uses the insignificant, that God uses the people that we overlook and look over. Things don't always add up on paper when God is doing the adding and the subtracting. And in this passage, he chooses to use a poor wise man. So with a few minutes, let me preach on the subject of a different perspective on poverty. A different perspective on poverty. Now, my goal today is to not only get you to think biblically, but through thinking biblically, think differently. If I can get you to pause, if I can pause when I'm around, quote unquote, lower income people, if I can get you to just rethink your paradigm with a kingdom paradigm, a biblical paradigm, to not feel sorry for poor people, but to look at them and say, I admire you because God says you're rich in faith. And you've got something that I need. 
Because you have learned out here on these streets. You have learned in that penitentiary. You have learned on government assistance. Things that I have not learned because of the comforts that I've been graced with. You've learned some things about God that I need to learn from you. So in this passage, we see a poor wise man wrecking shop up in here. Because there's going to be this great king who has this great army who surrounds this little village and he has all of these great uh, uh, um, ammunition at his disposal, but he cannot conquer this city because there's a poor wise man inside and God uses him and it changes Solomon's life. And I pray that today our lives will be changed. The first thing I want you to see is that it's possible to be poor and wise. If you're a Bible reader, I'm in verse 15. Now, there was found in it, in this small city, a poor wise man. Now, did it surprise you to see these words linked together? Poverty and wisdom. A poor wise man. Now, I know it may not have rocked you, but when I first read this story many years ago, it did rock me. And when I look back at it this week, it did rock me because I am conditioned by our culture to think that poverty means foolishness. I am not conditioned to think that you can be poor and be wise. But that's why my mind needs to be transformed by the Word of God. And I need to let the Word of God dictate to me my worldview and not MSNBC and not CNN and not Fox News, but the Word of God. And the Word of God says that poor people can be wise people. Because on the flip of my conditioning, I tend to think that rich people are smart people. But not all rich people are wise or smart any more than all poor people are foolish. And so we got to let, you know, each person dictate what they are by how they live. And in Matthew 19, my prejudice perspectives are challenged. Because in Matthew chapter 19, there's a rich, young ruler who comes to our master. And again, we think that if you got money, you must have brains. If you got money, you must have wisdom and smarts and intelligence. Now, some rich people do, but some rich people don't. And this rich, young ruler comes to Jesus. And if I could rename that story, I would call it, the foolish rich ruler who came to Jesus. Pastor Chris, why was he foolish? Well, number one, he's foolish because he said to the Lord, uh, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments, right? You shall honor your father and mother. And he, he names about four or five commandments. And this young man had the audacity to say, yes, I, I, I've kept all of those. 
You might have some money in your bank account, but I'm questioning what's going on upstairs in your mind. That you think you kept the commandments. The commandments are good and holy, and they remind us that we can't keep them, and we need someone to keep them for us, named the Lord, because if you break the law in one point, you're guilty of having broken the whole law, and all of us are lawbreakers, but a homie said, I've kept all of them. So you see where this is going. And so Jesus says, all right, let's test your heart here. Take everything you have, sell it, and give it to the poor. Then come follow me, and you'll have riches in heaven. Now, homeboy, stop, pause, thought about that. He said, no, 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 I can't follow him now. So the Bible says he walked away sorrowfully because he had so many goods, proving that he's just broken one of those commandments that you shall have no God before me, including your money, but you think you kept that one. So anytime a person walks away from Jesus, they're foolish. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Anytime you walk away from Jesus who's inviting you to come, you're foolish. And so Jesus, the great teacher, he went on and used that as an illustration to say, you know, it's hard for rich folk to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And an eye of a needle was like an arch that was known in town that camels would have a bunch of stuff on their back as they were carrying loads. And Jesus was saying that a camel could come under that arch, which was called an eye of a needle. They could go under that easier than a rich man coming to Jesus to enter into the kingdom of God. It's hard for the rich to be saved. Why? Because if I got money, do I really need God? And sometimes God will allow some of us to not have money so that we can get to know God. And that's why many of our trials deal with money and resources so that we can trust where these things ultimately come from. They come from him. So this man was not so wise in Matthew 19. But I hear somebody saying, now pastor, okay, the text says he's a poor, wise man. But if he's so wise, why is he still so poor? I know I heard somebody ask that question. If he's so wise, why is he so poor? Once again, we've been conditioned to think that having money and having resources is what makes life fantastic. That being poor is just something miserable. But no, we interpret scripture with scripture. We're people who are into the whole counsel of the word of God. And we go back to the words of our Savior who said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, that a man's life or a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. So life is not found in what you have. God, life is found in who has you, and, and, and has he touched your life? And, and, and Because God is not against us having things. He's against things having us, and they have a tendency to do that. Because not every poor person is right with God. There are just as many poor unbelievers as there are rich unbelievers. But I do believe that poor folk, because of their lack of natural resources, 
their dependence on God can be a little bit easier than the wealthy folks who Jesus says it's hard for them to be saved. Now, in Proverbs 15, 16, it says, better is a little with vegetables and, and just having a little bit of stuff than having a whole bunch of stuff and your house filled with all kinds of furniture and delicacies. You got all that stuff, but you have a whole lot of strife. So the Bible is encouraging us, hey, hey you don't have to strive to be rich. Matter of fact, there's another proverb that says, Lord, um, keep me from being poor to the point where I steal and discredit your name. But don't let me become so rich that I forget you. I'm coming back to that in a minute. Just give me what I need. And one thing God has done with all of us, he's met our needs. But because of our flesh, we all can get greedy sometimes. And we want more. And we think more purpose is found or significance in more that we have. And that's not always the truth, y'all. It's not the truth. To go without resources is the definition of one who's poor. You, you, you go without resources. And financial, you know, acquisition is one aspect of a resource. But there are so many other resources, and, and depending upon how one measures up with these resources may tell what kind of poverty you have. Because you can have a lot of finances, but need help emotionally. You can have a lot of uh, uh, money, but you could be lacking socially. There are people who are rich socially, but they're lacking financially. Then there are those who have the emotional stability, but they lack the physical wealth. Maybe there's a disability that they have that plunged them into poverty or, above all, spiritual uh, uh, poverty. You know, so, so when we think about when one is poor, it's an absence of resources, financial and social and uh, uh, um, uh, intellectual, physical, and above all, spiritual. So this man was poor, and we don't know exactly how he got poor, why he was poor, but we've been learning through this series that any of us can fall into poverty at any time. We're one D away from poverty. I said this a couple weeks ago. Death of a loved one can plunge us into poverty. Debt can plunge us into poverty. A divorce, displacement, disease, a disability to downsize or even a disaster of some kind like a hurricane, a flood, anything can plunge us into a place in just a quick moment where we move classes, if you will. Even David became a poor man. When he was running from Saul, he had already been anointed as king as a teenager. But he hadn't been appointed as king because Saul's tenure had to run its course and David had to be trained for the throne in the meantime. So God used trials brought about by Saul to strengthen David and grow him to prepare him to be king of Israel. And there were times where David had to flee from Saul and live in the woods. And when you live in the woods, I don't care how much money you got on your, in your pocket, you're homeless. 
And David said in Psalm 34, 6, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his troubles. Now he would go on to be wealthy again, but there were some things I know he learned in poverty that he could probably never learn with wealth. This poor man in this passage may have acquired his wisdom, which means skilled living, from living in poverty. Because one thing we know about people in poverty, they know how to make ends meet, even though the ends keep moving further and further away from each other. You get wisdom. You know how to work a dollar. You get wisdom. Lecrae says, being broke made me rich. There's some things money can't buy. I just heard a story from my mother about my dad. Back in 1985, my father had a stroke, his first stroke. Um, he was a diabetic ever since he was a little boy. And uh, he almost got refused by the Army because of that, but they kept him. And uh, 1985, he had a stroke. And because of that, he couldn't work for a whole year. And I really didn't know what was going on. I just knew things were, were changing at the house, you know. Um, it was tight at the house. And my parents couldn't buy me the things that I wanted to have, like mainly sneakers and stuff like that and, and, and the latest hats and the gear so I could go to school and front and all of that. It was just tight in my house. But they never told me why it was tight. We, we had to move from one house into another. But I found out later that we moved from that house because we lost that house. And we had to go to a place where we rented the house. This is my senior year in high school. And, um, and again, they didn't tell me what was going on. I just thought we moved just to be moving. But I found out later we moved because my dad had, had had the stroke. Money wasn't coming in. And they had to move. And his credit got shot real bad. And it was a miracle that they were able to rent the house that they rented. So my mother is telling me this story, and in the midst of that season is when I'm about to graduate and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know if I'm going to play football somewhere. Be, I, I, I had no clue about my life. But my father, who was poor, who I didn't know was poor at the time, I knew it was tight, but my father, who was struggling, still had wisdom. And he said to me, Chris, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you need to go to Liberty University and trust God. <laughs> you just told me what to do. <laughs> I said to my father, they're not offering me a scholarship. We don't have any money. I couldn't even get a class ring or a class jacket. I knew not to ask my parents because it was tight. But my father told me, go to Liberty and trust God. I obeyed my father, went to Liberty University, and somehow, someway, God made a way. He made a way. And I could go on and on and on and tell you how that decision to obey my poor, wise father changed my life. Because during that time, I got trained for ministry, met some of my closest friends, met this woman to be my wife. That's what brought me to Tennessee music. Rest is history. But my daddy was poor and wise. 
But secondly, it's possible to be poor and wise and save others. Look at verse 15 again. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of plan he came up with. We just know that God used him to deliver the city somehow, some way. You see, some poor people have great wisdom. They know how to survive and help others survive. There's an old saying that's true. Necessity is the mother of what? Invention. When you're poor, you learn how to make stuff work. How many of y'all remember when the TV antenna didn't give you a picture correctly? You went in the kitchen and got what? Aluminum foil. Came out and put it on the ears and your picture got right. If for some reason the knob fell off the TV, you go and get some pliers to turn the station. I remember using a phone book for more than just trying to find numbers. The phone book could serve as a leg under a table, a leg under a chair. Phone book, you, you, a mattress in the alley is a gym mat for those of us growing up. A mattress. We can do gymnastics. We can flip. A crate was used as a basketball hoop. It wasn't round. It was square. So your shot had to be tight. You invented stuff. We couldn't afford no football. So you take a can and wrap it with tape. And you got a football. And speaking of tape, There'd be times you would have to wrap your shoe with tape because your shoe was talking. Y'all ain't listening to me. You, you did what you had to do with what you had growing up. Oatmeal boxes. Quaker oatmeal boxes. Was transformed to be congos and drums. And, and you just beat on those boxes. And we had so much joy with toys we invented that when we got the toys they bought, we only played with them for one day and went back to the ghetto toys that we invented on our own. <laughs> I remember using a broomstick when you play stickball in the street. That was your baseball bat. And when baseball season was over, you cut the broomstick in half, you got a chain, and you put a chain between the broomstick, and you had nunchucks like Bruce Lee. <laughs> you get creative when you don't have a lot of money. And we've all had the quality of our lives saved and improved by some unlikely people. For instance, we've been saved by an electric lamp. And we gotta thank Lewis Latimer for that. We've been saved and had the quality of our lives improved by a refrigerator. And we can thank John Standard for that. This is Black History Month, right? Uh, we've all been saved by a commode, thank God, and we need to thank J.B. Rhodes for the commode. We've been saved by a microphone, and we got to thank James E. West for that. We've been saved by a blood bank, and I got to thank Charles Drew for that. We've been saved by an automatic gear shift, and I got to thank Richard Spikes for that. 
We've been saved by a pacemaker, and I got to thank a black man named Otis Boykin for that. We've been saved by a fire extinguisher, and I got to thank T.J. Marshall for that. We've been saved by a traffic signal, and I got and I got to thank Garrett Morgan for that. We've been saved by an air conditioner in the summer, and I got to thank Frederick M. Jones for that. We've been saved by a lawn sprinkler, so I don't have to keep walking the lawn. I got to thank Joseph Smith for that. We've been saved by a clothes dryer. Don't have to hang it out on the line all day no more. And I got to thank George Sampson for that. We've been saved, bless God, by a hot comb. And I got to thank Walter Simons for that. You remember the hot comb. It would sit on the stove. You'd heat it up. And you'd always get burned by your mama. Ow, ooh, ow. Go to school, people say, what happened to you? I just got my head done. <laughs> then we're saved by black hair care products. Thank you, Madam C.J. Walker. <laughs> We've been saved by a TV remote control. Thank you, Joseph Jackson. That's not Tito's daddy, that's another one. <laughs> then we've been saved by cell phone technology that helped produce the cell phone. And we got to thank Henry T. Sampson for that. And some of us have literally been saved by chemotherapy. And we got to thank Miss Jane Cook Wright for that. And some of us are being saved by open heart surgery. And we give God props for Daniel Williams for that. So these were overlooked people who many of our inventions as a people came during the 1800s when we had access to less stuff, but we had more dependence upon God. But as soon as we got the stuff, we stopped depending on God. We need a revival in the black community. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you've been saved from your sin by a poor, wise, Middle Eastern, sable-skinned Hebrew man named Jesus Christ. He became poor so that we through his poverty could become rich. Is there anybody saved today? by a poor man, a wise man. If you're not, today is the day of salvation for you. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus today. Matter of fact, he's waiting with arms wide open. Don't be like that rich kid who walked away. Walk to him and embrace him as he's embracing you. Thirdly and finally, it's possible to be poor and wise and save others and still be forgotten. Look at verse 15 again. He says, now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. So he saved everybody, but people didn't remember him. You see, the human tendency is to forget those who help us. And we forget because we're selfish, and because of being selfish, we have short memories. And we don't like the thought of being helped. We want to think we don't need any help. And so we have a tendency to forget how we've been helped. Remember when Joseph was in jail? And he's interpreting dreams for the baker and the butler. And he says to them, now, when y'all get out, don't forget me. Oh, no, we ain't going to forget you, dog. We got you. We got you. They got out. One of them got their head cut off. The other one got a job with the pharaoh. And he forgot Joseph. Genesis 40, verse 23 says, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. 
didn't remember this slave, this prisoner. He forgot him. But isn't it good that when men forget others, God never forgets us. My God. You see, we forget each other, and we also forget God too. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, they're about to go into the promised land. And God, knowing the tendency of people, God says to them, when you go into this land, and you get wells you didn't dig, and homes you didn't build, and you see all this milk and honey, and all this blessing over here, God says, don't forget me when you get into the land. And you think, you did all of this. So God says, I know how y'all are, so i got to give you events or ceremonies to remember me and to remember where you came from. So the Feast of Tabernacles is a time where the Jewish people once a year are to live in booths for a week to remind them of where they came from because they're so quick to forget. So God says annually, i got to take y'all back when y'all didn't have anything and you lived in tabernacles. Uh, let's see here. There's another feast, the Feast of Passover. You need to eat this every year to remind you of what I brought you out of because we're quick to forget what we got out of. Then Jesus comes along. He says, I know Christians too. We have a tendency to forget each other and to forget God. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you this supper, this last supper, this communion meal, this New Testament. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me because he knows we have a tendency to forget him. And that's why we must take communion regularly and come and be with God's people consistently. So in the kingdom, the poor are rich in faith. The poor have an advantage and the last shall be first. Jesus kept the poor before the hearts and minds of his disciples as he's discipling them. He kept the poor before them by constantly reaching out to them and teaching about them. If you look at many of Jesus' stories, he uses widows. He talks about the poor. So, so, so he kept people who were without resources in front of the minds of the disciples by reaching out, saying, you guys come on with me, and by teaching about them. So that when the church was birthed, and we see Paul and Barnabas going out into the world planting churches, they came to the pillars of the faith, according to Galatians 2, Peter, James, and John, who walked with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship to say, we endorse what you guys are doing. But here's what we ask of you. Do not forget the poor. As you plant churches, don't forget the poor. Paul replied and said, that's the thing we're eager to do, to remember the poor. We're not going to forget them. And so when God's pastors and apostles and ministry leaders have a mind for the poor, to talk about the poor, to touch the poor, it does wonders for the church and the kingdom of Jesus is built. Are you eager to remember the poor or are you quick to forget them? And once again, if this sermon in this series can get us to pause and think a little bit, I, I've been successful. So we saw three possibilities today from this text. One, it's possible to be poor and wise. Lord, put that in our mind. Just because I'm poor, that doesn't mean I'm stupid. 
Number two, it's possible to be poor and wise and save others or help the quality of the lives of others. And thirdly, we saw it's poor, it's possible to be poor and wise and save others and still be forgotten. There's a poor wise man that God used to help save me, and I can't forget him. One reason I am who I am and I am where I am is because of this poor wise man. Like me, this poor wise man was born in Maryland. But unlike me, this man was born a slave. And he was born a slave in 1818. And this poor wise man is Frederick Douglass. Born a slave, separated from his mother. The slave master was more than likely his father. Later, he was separated from his sister. He couldn't read, but he tried to learn how to read by tricking white kids on the plantation to teach him how to read because he heard the slave master say, if you teach that N-word to read, there'll be no end to his potential. And so because he heard that, it made him say, I've got to learn how to read because knowledge is power. So the slave master's wife, Sophia All, began to teach him secretly how to read. He would escape from slavery numerous times. And one time he got away to the point where he was able to escape up north. And he heard William Lloyd Garrison, a white man who was an abolitionist, speak. They became friends. And because Frederick Douglass knew how to read, and one of the books that he had read was called The Columbian Orator, he memorized speeches. And so because he could read and speak, they put him on the speaking circuit to speak against slavery and for the cause of the abolitionist movement. And his fame began to spread, but he never forgot his people. And so he was able to have a meeting with President Abraham Lincoln. And he and Lincoln became friends eventually to the point where Frederick Douglass became a consultant to Abraham Lincoln. And through this former slave's wisdom, he was able to help convince the president that slaves should be admitted into the Union Army to fight his soldiers. He also shared with the president that the abolition of slavery should be the goal of the war. That's not how the president started his thinking, but it took a black man, a poor, wise black man, in the Oval Office, having the president's ear and the president's respect to begin to shift his philosophy and ideology about the war and even the state status of blacks. So through that man, the president said, Okay, I will allow slaves to enter into the fight. And so in September of 1862, he was struggling to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. Frederick Douglass said, you've got to do it. Even though it's a wartime decree that will release slaves in the Confederate states, but it will release them to come to the Union to sign up and fight against the Confederate states. He signed it. It went into effect January 1st, 1863. 
And by the end of the war, over 186,000 blacks had joined the Union Army to fight as soldiers. And none of that would have happened, not to save the city, but to save this nation. If it wasn't for a poor, wise man named Frederick Douglass, who also went back to the president and said, hey, I'm glad you allowed the brothers to fight, but I need you to pay them equally like you're paying the white soldiers. I need you to make sure that they will be treated fairly also in the barracks and everywhere. So this man, though poor, used his wisdom. And I'm here, we're here today because of the impact that he made. Matter of fact, he was so poor, he didn't know exactly when he was born. But because of his relationship with Abraham Lincoln, he said, Abraham, what's your birthday month? Abraham said, February. Frederick Douglass, who had been a slave, didn't know when he was born. Records weren't kept. He says, well, I'm choosing February and your birthday to be my birthday. So when Carter G. Woodson came along in 1976 to come up with Negro History, I mean 1929, Negro History Week, he chose February because of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. So black folks, get the knowledge. Stop saying they gave us the shortest month. Why we got the shortest month? There's a reason. So have a different perspective on poverty. Let's stand for prayer. Let's stand for prayer. I'll be standing here if there's someone who says, Pastor Chris, I, today I want to know Jesus. Would you pray with me? So to my friends and strong to our family, just give me a few minutes. Somebody may want to come talk to me. In a little while, we're going to develop a ministry of people. They're going to make sure that people are ministered to who come forward. But until that time, I'm here to talk to you. If you want to talk to me about church membership, you need a covering, you think this is a house, come talk to me. Let's go out and let's have a different perspective on how we see people. All people are made in the image of God. <laughs> no matter what their economic status happens to be, no matter what their race, their gender, any of that, they're made in the image of God. And he calls us to love people well as he loves us. Father God, we thank you for this time to be in your house. Thank you for how you're equipping us to do the work of the ministry. Thank you, Lord, for how you're hearing our prayers and you're answering them. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way. Continue to minister to us so that you might minister through us. Again, Lord, teach us to think differently. Help us to see people the way you see people. And even help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Identity and perspective is everything. Thank you for the word. Everywhere I turn in this book, I see how you honor the poor. Thank you for what these passages are doing to me. I pray that they'll touch your people. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You got to hug some folk before you leave. Now you know that. You can't leave till you hug somebody. <laughs>